I'm Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to Space for Life, a podcast with honest conversations designed to help cultivate the space we need for a more fulfilling and abundant life. Despite our culture being wired for excess and overload, our souls desperately need the opposite. Thanks for joining us today as we seek to take one more step into a spacious life. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be back with everybody on Space for Life podcast. And today is going to be a phenomenal uh, episode. I'm really excited about it. I've been planning this one for a while. Uh, We have as a guest today, Michael Thaler, who is the Chief Purpose Officer of Equity Concepts. And that probably right off the bat has got your mind wondering what's a chief purpose officer. So we're going to be getting into that. And Michael and I have known each other for uh, a few years now, two, three years now. And uh, I think there's so much to talk about that I've kind of decided right on the front end that we're going to make this a two-episode podcast. And we're going to be talking in the first episode about a lot of Michael's story that's led him to today and from there go into some some ideas and some thoughts that he has on this area of purpose. So to begin with, I'll give you just a little bit of an introduction on Michael and we'll get going. Uh, Michael is the founder and managing partner of Equity Concepts, serving in the Richmond area since 1991. So has over 30 years of experience as an entrepreneur and business owner and remains at the forefront of the financial industry through his teaching of wealth management strategies with a focus on tax and alternative investment concepts for high net worth investors. He is especially passionate about being a guide for his clients' stories to help them manage their wealth with clarity and intention. Michael is also the founder and international executive director of Effective Ministries, which we'll hear a lot more about, a nonprofit organization that focuses on the needs of children and families in Richmond, Virginia, and Niger, Africa. Since 2003, Effective Ministries has sent more than 100 teams consisting of over 1,100 travelers to Niger. Because of Michael's passion and life's work, Effective Ministries has given over $14 million directly to the children of Richmond and Niger. Uh, His life quote is by Charles Spurgeon, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. So I just learned today uh, in a meeting that Michael and I had earlier in the day that He asks everybody at Equity Concepts to pick a life quote and put it on their voicemail. So uh, before we get going into life story, I'd love to hear, Michael, why is this quote your quote? And how did this come about doing this with everybody at at Equity Concepts? Well, I will, um, I'm going to share my story with you and then I'll kind of um, come to that. uh, as as we get uh, to the equity concepts piece, but um, for for me, my the, the life quote is just um, it's important that uh, we carve our name 
names on hearts, whether it's just myself, my family, it's our family quote too, and even ourselves at Equity Concepts. I'm going to back up to share a little bit about myself. And um, I was born um, into a, a Jewish home in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And uh, my mom, she had uh, graduated number nine out of 710 in her class. And she gave all her scholarship money to my father to uh, go to dental school and become a dentist. Uh, along the way, they had four kids. I was the fourth child. And after um, the uh, four years of dental school, my dad became a dentist. Um, he left her. And so I remember that day very well. I was six years old and uh, we're in the kitchen and um, my dad decided to throw plates and glasses against the wall and break the dishes. And I was with my mom and just uh, just hold her hand and uh, and um, just, you know, dad, go, dad, go. And um, he, he left. And um, it was a crazy day in my life. It was a defining day in my life. I remember well at six years old, he um, got married the same day that he got divorced. He married a 19 year old and my dad was 39. And my half brother, Matthew, was born six months later. So, um, there was a lot happening then. So at that point in time, my mom realized that um, we had to leave Altoona. And she had to leave with her four kids because uh, there was one judge and two lawyers. My dad played tennis with them. She got $100 a month child support and no alimony. So she sold her ring and her house to her brother, got enough money to get a, a station wagon. And um, we went off to Virginia Beach because back in... Um, 1971, there was just a lot of growth happening there. My mom had no education. So we got to Virginia Beach and um, we were poor. We lived in Lake Edward, one of the very poorest neighborhoods. Um, and um, as my brother, my sister, so I have a sister, two brothers that are older than me than myself. Um, as they turned 13, they, um, they all moved back to Pennsylvania with my father. Just, it was easier. And so at that point in time, I promised God I was not leaving my mom. Um, I was going to be a mommy's boy. And I was going to stick by her side completely all the way. And so um, I'm 11 years old. It's just me and mom. She's working three part-time jobs, 16, 18 hours a day, just to keep the lights on as much as possible. And um, about the 28th, 29th of each month, the, um, the lights would go off. And um, wintertime would be cold for a couple of days. And... We weren't homeless, but we were as close as you could be. So at 11 years old, I thought I need to do my part. And um, so I got five paper routes. We lived in apartments. So they were not where I could just throw the papers easily off the, the bike and then, you know, houses. I had to get off and go in the apartments. And 4.30 every morning, I had five paper routes. And I and, uh, would do that before school. And I remember sitting in, uh, early on, sitting where I folded the papers and cold outside, I said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a deal. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do what's right. And um, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I'm going to do what's right. So I'm just uh, a good son to my mom. And um, in return, will you please just take care of her? And so um, I would pray all the time and just had conversations with God. I want to say pray first, just conversations with God. I talk to him all the time. But I remember the first prayer. Um, and it was about my mom and she, uh, 
she was going to real estate class. So she needed to get out of this 16, 18 hour day. It was just hard. And so she decided to try to be a real estate agent. And she was in her last class. She didn't make a 70, which would be a C. And I'll never forget, we were walking um, to her, 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 her professor's office. And outside the office was a sheet of paper with all the grades. And it said 68D. Um, it's just hard for her. She didn't have much time to do a lot of studying. It was really hard. And I remember tears coming down her face. And we walked into the professor's office. And she said, you know, told her story. Isn't there any way I could get a D? He said, I curved the grades. It's a D. And it's already in the mail anyways. I mean, it's already done. So the next morning I went back and, and uh, that was my first prayer to God the next morning. And um, I said, God, I, um, I need you to change that grade. And I believe you're a big enough God to change that grade, whether it's in the computer, in the mail, whatever. I just believe in this God that can do anything. And um, two days later, my mom got the envelope in the mail. She opened it and it was a C. And, um, at that point in time, for the next 10 years of my life, my relationship with God, with God was um, full of um, impossible faith. Um, just faith that God would do the impossible. And um, just had a, just a big God and a big belief in, in, in the God that, um, that um, he was my best friend. So anyways, um, would always ask, and I won't, you know, go into more stories like that, but just with live my life right, ask God, he would always come through. Just just a crazy life with God. So I turned 16 years old in 1981, and um, I decided that uh, Lynn Haven Mall was opening, and I decided I was going to get a job in, in a warmer environment instead of outside and, and go inside. And so I went in the mall, and Looked around and decided I'd try to get a, a job, but the mall was just about ready to open. And so I ended up upstairs in the food court at a company called Chick-fil-A. Never heard of Chick-fil-A. Back then, there was no freestanders. 47 Chick-fil-A's. Sure, Kathy never borrowed a penny. This was the first year he ever borrowed and opened up 41 Chick-fil-A's. So he'd always save enough money from the, the, the profit that Chick-fil-A had opened another store. But this year, he opened 41 stores on the 47 he had. So I had no idea... Anything, but got a job. Uh, Scott Marchman, my manager, my the owner, the operator, hired me, and I was I was working at Chick Fil A, and um, loved my job. Really got into it, and uh, between sixteen and twenty one, um, worked at Lynnhaven Mall and um, a little bit of Pembroke Mall too in Virginia Beach. And so I finished high school. I went to Old Dominion University, stayed at Chick Fil A, um, graduated uh, college three and a half years, so half a year early, and decided I want to do this Chick-fil-A thing as a career. And so um, I uh, applied for Chick-fil-A, and if you don't know, it's not easy to get in. The year I applied, there was 33, um, well, 12,001 applicants, 33 got um, got accepted, and I was fortunately one of the 33. This is to own a franchise? This is, yes, yeah. Wow. <laughs> they call them owner-operators. Owner-operators. So, um, it's a unique situation the way they do it. You um, never really own it, but you put very little down. You have a store, and when you're done, they get the store back. But it's uh, you have a great opportunity. So um, I really wanted to stay, and it's like that today too. I really wanted to stay in Virginia Beach. You know, I promised God I'd stay near my mom, but the Virginia Beach market was just saturated, and um, um, the shops at Willow Long, uh, 1987, became open. 
Um, that's when they put the food court, um, the roof on the food court, put the food court in. And I got that Chick-fil-A. I felt it was close to mom. I could be at Virginia Beach an hour and a half and see her regularly, have lunch with her and just be there. So um, got that Chick-fil-A and um, I was fortunate. Willow Lawn had a very good rent structure. I was 21 years old. I immediately made six figures my first year and um, I was, life was wonderful. And um, so I was able to save some money and decided I'd look for a financial planner and, and um, went on that route to look for somebody. And um, I um, looked and looked and looked and I'll come back to that in just a second and finish that part of the story. But during my time at Chick-fil-A, um, I had this great day manager. Her name was Missy Rose. And um, Missy said, hey, Michael, and she made my life easy. I mean, she took care of all the staff and, you know, we had a, you know, it, it, we, were, we were on the east end of Richmond, but she made my life easy and managed everybody really well. She said, hey, Michael, why don't you come to church with me? And I thought, the last thing I want to do is, um, is go to church, but it would be a smart business decision to, um, you know, keep Missy happy, go to church, not a big deal. And um, so I did. And um, I uh, went to this little church called West End Community Church of the Nazarene. Now, before that, I'd only been to church three times in my life. All three were Catholic church. That's all I knew. So more structure. In this church, uh, Dale Taylor was the pastor, and structure was no structure. <laughs> it was actually really cool. I'll never forget when somebody wanted to testify, like right in the middle of the sermon, they just kind of put their hand up, and he stopped, and they testified. It was very, it was cool. So I was intrigued. Um, came back from church and was very intrigued. And Dale called me and said, hey, great having you. And small church, about 50 people. He said, um, great having you. And I said, it was great being there. So I went back the next week. And I went back the next week. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you meet me at Shoney's? Um, and let's get together. And, and I thought, I'm up for Shoney's for a buffet. And what I learned was he met everybody at Shoney's from six in the morning until like eight at night and I always gave him a hard time. That was his way to get his uh, three buffets in on one sitting. And um, anyway, so, so um, I would meet him. It was six o'clock in the morning. I was first, first time, you know, first appointment in the morning. I met him for 10 months. I kept going back to the church, by the way, but I met him for 10 months on Friday mornings. Before that, did you go when you were growing up to synagogue? No, you know, it's a good, that's a great question. Um, we were very loosely, Jewish. Um, yeah, I think that if you would ask my father, he would say we were, you know, um, you know, early on, I remember we had meat plates and milk plates and kept kosher, but um, that was a very short period of time. After that, it was, you know, you went to the synagogue on certain occasions and it was just, we weren't extremely active at all. So I did, so we didn't do much with the faith. So, it's unusual. I mean, you really express even from like age 11, this really deep sense of the reality of God and the personal nature of God, but you didn't really go to synagogue where there wasn't really faith or religion in the family. Do you no. attribute that to anything? No, I attributed my, my, I needed God really bad because we were, we were hurt and we were poor. We were almost homeless. And um, I definitely believed in God. Um, but I just knew I needed, um, I needed God. I needed the big God. 
And, um, and um, I knew that I needed to um, do my part and live a life that he would be um, happy with and would honor. And so that was kind of the deal. I hate the word deal, but it was. I was 11 years old. I made a deal. You know, <laughs> I just said, I'll live a life that, that makes you smile and honors you. And please take care of my mom. I didn't realize I'd be, you know, um, asking for big things. And, but that's, that's what started to happen. Even with Chick-fil-A. I mean, 33,000 out of 12,001 applicants. I'm sorry, 33 accepted out of 12,001 applicants. That's a crazy percentage. Um, and God came through. So, um, yeah, we were close. And so when I was talking, talking to Dale Taylor, my pastor. I said, he said, why, why, what, what keeps you away from Jesus? I said, I said, Dale, everything's really good. I mean, my relationship with God, it's been, it's been, it's been 10 years. Literally, um, a little bit over ten years, and and I'm really good. I just love my relationship with God, and He explained to me how that I can add Jesus um, into my life and 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 not lose anything with God. I'm just adding Jesus to the equation. I'm not losing my relationship with God. I'm just asking, just adding Jesus to that. That got me thinking. Um, so I took that back home after that visit and thought about it and. Um, we do not like snowy days at Chick-fil-A because you're closed and you don't earn anything. And um, it was a very snowy day in February. And I remember calling Dale and said, um, hey, I, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And um, I'll meet you um, in the Regency Square parking lot, so my competitor's parking lot, and another mall. And, um, and I got out of my car in the snow and got in his car and gave my life to Christ. So um, I was 22 years old at that time. I love that story. It's so out of the norm. And, you know, if, if there are plenty of people that would be listening to this who know of you, and you would never expect such an unusual story. And yet, isn't that true of all of us? Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, you know, as hard as things were, I, um, I, I, I am so thankful, so thankful that, um, that and, and again, I can say this probably later in the story, but I say right now, I'm thankful for two things. I'm thankful for my dad. Um, and by the way, I had a really, I didn't want any part of my dad and what he did. Um, he did the same thing to two more, to one more. He's married three times, divorced three times. He did the second thing, same, same, it just no one thing to do with us. But I, as I became a Christian, I, I knew I had to forgive him. And um, I remember when he came to Richmond and uh, we had a conversation. And so I do love my dad. I was never very close to my dad, but I'm thankful for my dad because my dad taught me perfectly. I'm thankful to God for my dad. He taught me perfectly what not to do. I mean, what better teacher? And then I'm very, very thankful for being poor. Um, we were poor. We were broke. And I'm so thankful for that because that has allowed me to be able to give because I came from a giving of, I came from having nothing. So when I had something, having nothing doesn't bother me. So I was able to be a big giver. So being poor um, helped me to be able to give in exceeding ways. And so I thank God for the debt I had and for the poorness I had. Um, best two things he could have ever done. That, that's so backwards from the way most people would think. They think, okay, the two worst things in my life was 
my situation with my dad and the and the poverty and it seems like a lot of people and I don't know this for a fact but that deal with poverty it makes them clutch more to money for fear of what it would be to be without and you've seemed to take these two things and go the opposite direction with it which is again just fascinating it's the unexpected that is part of your story yeah comfortable i've always been comfortable with with little so um having a lot and giving back to a little yeah doesn't doesn't bother me um and i'm very comfortable in the unknown so um I love being in the unknown. I'm just comfortable in the unknown. So that's something that is, um, it helps out too. You know, I remember with Brennan, my son, um, I used to throw all my change in this little piggy bank that he had. And um, I remember they used to make piggy banks where you like put 70% away for, you know, spending and 10% for saving and 10% for tithing and so on and so forth. And I said, well, that's not the right bank. So we had this little piggy bank for him. I stick the change in every night. In fact, I'd always try to get change. And then once a month, um, we would we would go in and get that change out of his piggy bank and let him do it. So we emptied out, put it into a plastic bag. We'd go to a food line or a Kroger or wherever. They had those little money machines. Those machines, I say money machine, coin machines. He'd take it himself, take the bag, throw the coins in, and we count them. He'd take the little receipt, take it to the counter, get his money. And then we would always do something with that money. Like, for instance, we'd go buy shoes at the shoe carnival for St. Joseph Villa kids. And we'd go to the shoe carnival place and tell the manager. And he'd go, ladies and gentlemen, and he'd give us shoes and he'd give us discount. I mean, he'd really get into it on the speaker and people would buy in shoes. And we'd walk out with, you know, you know, 50 pairs of shoes, 80 pairs of shoes. And whether it's St. Joseph Villa, the Elijah Academy, we'd just take them to places. And shoes was one example. And, um, but the whole point was, I said, Brennan, we're going to take 100% of your money and give it away. And so he'd take the money, pay for the shoes, take the shoes, give it away. Maybe we'd buy bubbles um, for, for St. Mary's Hospital treasure chest. So the kids who needed to be able to blow for breathing and they could blow the bubbles and slinkies and stuff. So we'd always buy stuff. We'd do things like that. But the whole point was take 100% of your money and give it away. So now my son's 21 years old and he grew up with 100% as God's. So it's easier to go from 100% down than most people never giving, starting at zero and trying to get to 10% and how hard it might be. So we lived a life of 100%. So just, you know, a story that um, that's, that's kind of what we've done. I, it's again, it's just, uh, I mean, it's a very out of the ordinary path. I can't think of any parents that I know, certainly not me, that, went the direction of saying, you know, here's, here's your money and you're going to give away a hundred percent of it. It's just an idea that came to your mind. I just knew that, um, that there was a, a God big enough to, if he could take care of my mom's grade, he could take you from zero to what you needed. That's incredible. And I'm going to come back to a story in just a little bit. Um, on a bus ride in Kazakhstan, that will kind of come back to that. <laughs> so, um, kind of, I know I'm pinging a little bit, but we'll kind of come back to that. So, um, so I become a Christian, and I'm in this church, and um, 
and I'll kind of pause there. So now pause, I promise I'll bring everything together. So, um, so I'm making pretty good money. I'm looking for a, a wealth manager and um, I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. Three years I'm looking. And understand I graduated in college with a, a business management degree, but also a finance degree, a, a minor in finance and in economics, especially with a, a big focus on economics. So I couldn't find a, a, a person to manage my wealth or my money, wasn't wealth at that time, but my money. And um, it was always the same thing. If you just save, 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 you'll have this, and then you can live off that. And I thought, well, I don't want to save and save and save and then live off of it. I want to give along the way the most I can, and I want to save not to have a nest egg to live off of, but a nest egg to give away. Like, how do I give it away? And so, you know, they'd always look at me like, you know, deer in headlights and just, you know, it just, it, and I just couldn't find a match. And, um, and again, economics taught me that in Econ 101, that you take a macro view of your money, not a micro view, a holistic view. And, um, and you look at things like opportunity costs on your money and you, you understand how money can be velocitized and turned and, you know, and, and just those things. That, and, and maybe I was looking for something. I don't, it wasn't out there at that time, I thought. So then I was introduced to a guy named Mark Schleifer in Bethesda, Maryland. So <laughs> a great Jewish guy named Mark Schleifer. And um, so I met Mark and I went up there. I was, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. So I went up there and Mark showed me um, this whole process of money. And I said, Mark, this is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for this right here. And so I, um, I said, I'm going to implement my plan with you. But um, I was in church and I was in this program called What's Your Ministry in the Marketplace? And it was really challenging me. And I thought, Chick-fil-A is wonderful. And, and I love Chick-fil-A. So many of my best friends are Chick-fil-A operators right now. And um, I just love Chick-fil-A. But I thought, what is my ministry in the marketplace going to be? Can it be something more and bigger? Now, remember back then, no freestanders, no cow, no marketing, nothing. Okay. Different Chick-fil-A. And, um, and so I said, Mark, I believe God wants me to step away from Chick-fil-A and to start a wealth management firm. And um, will you be my mentor? And so I left Chick-fil-A which is unheard of, by the way. Very few people leave Chick-fil-A. Um, happily with Chick-fil-A, but I left them, I was happy. And so I left Chick-fil-A, and I started Equity Concepts. And that was me and my ministry in the marketplace. And, um, oh, I was cautioned by many people. Are you crazy? Do not start a wealth management firm in Richmond, Virginia. Do you realize Richmond is a good old boy marketplace? Do you realize the Scottish Dream Fellows and the things out there and, you just don't step in, literally, as, as a 25-year-old. You just don't, you just don't, you don't do this. And um, I actually just turned 26, and I, and, I, and I thought, this is what God wants me to do. And I know if I put God first, and I know this God, this big God, that um, if I put him first, he'll take care of it. So anyways, um, Mark would come in once a month, and I would see clients once a month. I had to learn and um, did that for the first year. And um, the first year was uh, was tough. I just put money on my credit card. So I went from making really good money to 
just adding up that second year, more money on my credit card. I was spending more than I was making. Third year, about the same. And in the third year, um, my real estate agent, um, Rick Brown, sent uh, this guy named John Robinson over to see me. He worked for James River Paper Corporation. And uh, he was an executive there and he wanted to go into financial planning, wealth management world. So he sent him over to me. And um, I said, sure. I got, John, come on in. I got, all, I got plenty of time. Back then I had all the time. Um, and, uh, and I said, John, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to treat you like a client and take all your information. But you just stay with me and then you can see how I, what I do behind the scenes and I'm going to present to you. And so we spent six hours together that day. And um, he implemented and said, hey, can I come in and be, you know, can I come in with you and work with you? I went, I love this. I said, not only can you come in, you can be my business partner because quite frankly, right now I'm making 30,000 and my expenses are 50. If you're my business partner, I'll make 30, my expenses are 25. And you keep what you make, I'll keep what I make and I can become profitable. And he became my business partner. He just retired. So um, after literally 26 years, I had an amazing business partner um, who we had very different um, um, unique abilities and we were great together. 26 years, never had a, an argument um, as business partners. So that was kind of the beginnings. During those three years when it was really lean and you'd made this move that you felt like was what mm -hmm. God wanted, did, did that create any kind of crisis for you? Or did you just, were you just confident we would all come out? Okay. Yes, coming all come out, and 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 I know I go back and forth a little bit in the story, but I'm going to come back and why I knew it all come out. Okay, all right, good. Um, and and you'll see, I'll play back into John. AZ was our first employee, which was two years later. Um, at that point in time, we were in in the room above John's garage. That was our office. So <laughs> we to see our clients, crazy. I mean, everyone I'd come in, I'd walk through their bedroom to get to their. To the, to the office. So sometimes Susan would be sleeping if I came in early morning and it was crazy. And, but um, that's how we started. And, um, and so, so we hired, we, I remember interviewing AZ, who was a friend of John's. And um, I remember that uh, we have a place to interview her. So we interviewed her at Shoney's. So I want to bring that back in. That was, Shoney's was important in all this. So we interviewed her at Shoney's. I remember saying, hey, AZ, I, I, I think we can promise you two days a week. Don't know if we can really afford five, but you know, we'll try five and just see what happens. So she's 25 years with us and we've been able to cover her five days a week for 25 years. And the, the amount, the longevity of our employees, one of our core values here is family, the family here and the staff that's been here 10, 15, 20 years and advisors. It's unbelievable. Very few people leave. So we're starting equity concepts. And uh, so you can kind of get a feel. I mean, God just bless this place. Um, grown every year, fabulous staff, um, just remarkable. So it's day one in equity concepts. And I said, God, um, this is yours. I promise you, I promise you um, that I will make every decision as I feel you would want us to make it, that we will be a company that represents you. Um, kind of no different than the, and then, you know, the conversation when I was wrapping papers, putting rubber bands around papers and um, in that, that cold apartment hallway. And so um, 
I said, it's yours. It's your deal, God. It's not mine. It's your deal. And I know you got it. So I know some things that you're going to want right up front. I know that you're going to want our first fruits. And Malachi 3, 9, and 10 talks about first fruits. And I said, God, we'll give you our first fruits. So we will do devotions from 9 to 10 every Monday, uh, first fruits of the week. I know the markets are open. And I realize 9, 30, 10, nothing's going to happen. Our clients are going to be okay. Our phone's going to go to voicemail. And we answer our phone live still today. Still today, we have live answer. We want to be, um, that's what families do. And so we have live answers. And um, But from 9 to 10, we start the day together. And um, now we've grown a lot. If they don't want to come to the devotions, that's okay. But they cannot work from 9 to 10. No work. Um, I don't care if you want to listen to music, whatever you want to do. Spend time in, in the Bible, or please come downstairs with us at our, our, our large conference room, and we'll do devotions. And so we've done that every single Monday for just under 30 years. And um, so every decision would be as God would want it to be. Um, God has a business card, um, chief executive advisor, I believe is what it is. Um, when you go look at our business cards, um, the very top one in the rack in the lobby is God's card. He has a card. This is his thing. His deal, his business. So I don't have to worry about things working or not. Doesn't surprise me that God sent John the way John sent John. John, God sent AZ and everybody else. So I kind of share that first to come back into it because it um, it's the same God that I spent ten years with, and it's not just those ten. It's now you know thirty, you know plus years, and it's the same God and um, who he's just a big God and. Um, so, so um, just a funny story real quick. We are very compliant in our, our industry. And I remember when we had our first audit from our broker dealer who oversees us, that's our compliance, and um, we got our write-up. And in our write-up, it says you must take God's card um, out of the card rack. And I thought, um, wow. Okay, what's the problem? And they said, well, you have disclosure on the bottom of his car. You have to have disclosure because when you're licensed, you have this disclosure. And they said, we can't find a, a file for God where he's passed the necessary test to have the disclosure on his car. So you have to take the disclosure off the card. I said, well, first of all, that's ridiculous. He's the one author and the creator of all the tests that we take to, to pass to become licensed to have the disclosure. They're like, well, maybe he is, but that's not going to work. You got to take it off of there. So we had to spend $99 or whatever to get them new cards. But one of my favorite stories of all time is that um, God, if you look at the cards close, he's still the only one without disclosure to this day because he's, he's not officially licensed and hasn't passed all the tests. Um, so he's our only um, unlicensed advisor here. Anyways, just a fun story. We're going to pause the conversation today and pick right back up next week with Michael as we continue and talk about purpose. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it helpful and encouraging in your journey. Before you leave, I wanted to let you know of two things. First, if you are looking for more helpful content like this, visit TommyThompson.org. There you will find resources created to help you find space in your life. Second, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take a minute to leave a review. This helps other people find the show as well. 